Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio from lead pastor Brad Evangelista. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. Amen. Good morning. Why are you here today? And I don't just mean here at Crosspoint. Why are you here? Why do you exist? Why did the Lord cause you to be born at this time? To live in this country in this age? To endure what you're enduring now? To be in this city? To be part of this church? To be in this job? To be in this marriage? To be the child of those parents? Why are you here? Is it simply to scratch out a living? Maybe a few vacations, some recreational activities, opinions about everybody else and how they're messed up until you can hold on, until you eke into heaven? Or has God in His indescribable goodness set you apart and knit you together in your mother's womb and determined all of your days before the creation of the world and purposed to allow you to fall into sin and purposed before even the fall to send his son, God the son in the flesh to ransom you on the cross through his sacrificial life and raise again in victory over death, hell, and the grave, and call you and give you a new heart so that you would be born again, so that you would be alive in this day, so that you would be part of a community that preaches the Bible, so that you would be a believer in this day, so that through you, along with all of your other ordinary Christian friends in a local church, would be part of what God is doing in His unstoppable mission to bring glory to His name in all the world. I think the second is why you're here. And I want us to see that in the Scriptures. I'm going to read a few verses, and I want to answer this question. What the world needs from us, Christians in a local church. Now, this is a standalone message. It's, again, unusual for us. We did one last week on how we should live by God's Word. I hope that you're a week into committing to reading the Bible, taking in God's Word, whatever that looks like for you. This Sunday, we're going to do another topical message on what it means to be a Christian and what the world needs, needs from us in this day. Next week, Tyler's going to be preaching a standalone message, and then the following Sunday, two Sundays from now, we're going to start a series through the Gospel of John. And I can't wait to get into John. Um, It's a wonderful gospel, and we will be in it for a long time. It may take me into retirement from pastoral ministry. It has always been God's plan to make a people for Himself. That's what God has been up to since the Garden of Eden. And God has determined, this is stunning, God has determined to glorify Himself 
by redeeming lost sinners like ourselves and putting them together in a family called the church and then causing His glorious gospel to be incubated, to be held, to be lifted up by that church. He did this through Abraham in the Old Testament when he called Abraham and he said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you offspring. I'm going to give you blessing. I'm going to give you land. And through you, through this family that I'm going to create through you, which in the Old Testament is Israel, and then in the New Testament is the church, which I take to be the one people of God in all time. Through you, I am going to bless all the peoples of the earth. God has wanted to bless the earth from every nation, tribe, and tongue through His people. And we see this picked up in the New Testament. Let me read to you three verses. Ephesians 3, 1 Timothy 3, and Matthew 16. Let me read these passages to set the stage. And then I want to answer the question, what the world needs from us in this day. Why you exist. Ephesians chapter 3, listen to the Apostle Paul. He says, to me, verse 8, to me, although I am very, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan for the mystery hidden for the ages in God who created all things. Listen to verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So through local churches like us, God has determined to make His manifold wisdom known. 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul is writing to Timothy about the local church, and he says in verses 14 and 15, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. Listen to how he describes it, a pillar and a buttress of the truth. So the local church exists to hold something up, to be a pillar and a buttress of the truth, which in context is the message the good news of the gospel. And listen to Jesus in Matthew 16. He's asking his disciples who people are saying who he is. This is a famous passage. And they say, well, some say you're, you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets or Elijah. And some say you're John the Baptist. And then Peter and Jesus famously asks him, but who do you say that I am? And in verse 16 of Matthew 16, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Verse 18, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Well, let me pray and ask the Lord to help us as we think about what the world needs from us. Lord, thank you for this great truth that we were made for a day like this. We, according to your kindness, were brought into being for purposes far greater than just our measly little lives to scratch by. Lord, give us a grand vision of your goodness to us. Give us a glorious biblical picture of the privilege of being a Christian in these days. 
for my friends that are in this room that may not know Jesus, would you give them a new heart so that they can believe? And for my brothers and sisters who know you, would you make us more into the image of Christ? I pray these things for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. What does the world need from us? First, I think the world needs from Christians in the local church like Crosspoint, the courage needs to see in us courage to hold our convictions with clarity and compassion. Courage to hold our convictions with clarity and compassion. Now we need courage on several fronts in these days. Courage of conviction, to know what the Bible says, to be, as we talked about last week, people that live by God's Word, who are informed by God's truth, not by the by the the doctrine of our culture that is false. We want to be people that are not afraid of clear biblical truth. We don't want to preach a watered-down message. We don't want to unwittingly communicate to the world like I think some churches sadly do in in our culture. They want to become so like the world as a means of drawing the world in. But that is a terrible way to do evangelism. The best way that we can love and serve the world is to be clearly convinced about what God says in His Word, what it means to be human, who He is, and to lift this up and clearly with compassion but boldness present it to the world. Jesus says we should expect the world to react negatively to this. Listen to what Jesus says in John 15, verses 18 and 19. He says, If the world hates you, American Christians need this passage. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. That's something we should be very familiar with. That's a verse that you might want to write down on an index card and pin it on your mirror or your refrigerator or on your steering wheel. The world will hate the message of the gospel. And Christians need to understand that. And we need to be people that are clear in our convictions but compassionate in our convictions, knowing that the world is lost and the only way the world is not saved through our desires or our our watering down, but it's saved through God's sovereignty when He holds up the truth through the local church. He uses it as He wills. The wind, I can't wait to get to John 3 when we look at Jesus' Nicodemus. When we get to John 3 sometime in 2023, where Jesus says that the Spirit blows where it wills. And our job is to hold up Christ and then God will do what He will do with it. We need to be people that have courage in uncertainty and fear. The church, the world, many people are gripped with fear or worry about pandemics and politics. Friends, we need not fear. We are alive right now because God has ordained it. And there is not one molecule in the farthest reaches of the universe 
And there is not one little germ or virus that is doing anything in the world today that is outside the control of God. Now, that does not mean that we are haphazard in any way. It doesn't mean that we throw caution to the wind. That can be part of a good stewardship of health and and all sorts of things. But it is to say that we should not fear uncertainty in health and politics and finances and whatever. Listen to what Paul says in Acts chapter 17. To embolden us in this truth, it says in verse 26, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. That means that if you are alive right now, it's because God determined it. So instead of wringing our hands in sarcasm or cynicism or fear, we should rejoice. God has counted us worthy to be alive right now. Praise God. That should be the note played by Christians. Listen to Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. Paul says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Another way of saying that word disputing is complaining. That you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of light, life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. So Christians need not fear. They need not complain. They need to stand firm and trust the Lord. And then finally, before we move on, just one more thought about courage. Is it's courage, it's convictional courage. Christians need convictional courage in an age of polarity. What do I mean by polarity? I mean by opinions, intense opinions across the spectrum, even within the body of Christ. Part of the challenge, and let me just let me just share a burden with you about my role as a public speaker, a public voice, a preacher, is that part of the challenge, and I think one of the spiritual ploys of the enemy and one of the battles, the spiritual battles that we are facing as Christians is this age that we're living in where it's difficult to say anything without having to give many caveats and nuances. Because people, we are just in an age of intense distrust and so if you say for example boy the what happened last week in the capital was a horrible thing and a shameful act by some people in our nation if you say that publicly some may say well what about the prop the 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 riots in the summer what about those Well, well yeah those were shameful too If you say, well, I think maybe some measure of wearing a mask might be, you know, helpful. Well, are you giving in to government control? And if some Christian voices an opinion that maybe wearing masks is a little bit of an overreach and the government might be, there might be something behind this. Well, wait a minute, what are are you, some conspiracy theorist? And same thing about lockdowns and same thing about vaccines. Christians have opinions. I mean, it's like, well, I like Coke. Does that mean you hate 7-Up? No, it means I like Coke. (laughs) 
Friends, that type of standard in speech, it's an impossible way to do community. In Judges chapter 12, there's this really interesting story uh, where Judges is a, is a wicked time in the history of God's people. And there's this battle going on, and there's this particular tribe of God's people that are at battle with another and a group of people. And one of the tests that they used to determine who was for them or against them was how they pronounced this Hebrew word shibboleth. And if they didn't pronounce it the exact right way that you would pronounce it if you were from my tribe, then I know that you're an outsider. And so, depending on how you pronounce this Hebrew word shibboleth in Judges chapter 12, became a kind of test of faithfulness. And there are just so many false shibboleths in our culture today. What do you, what do you think about this? Oh, well, you're a racist. Well, what do you think about this? Oh, well, you must be a Marxist. Friends, that space is an untenable place for a Christian to do conversation. Because the convictions that the Bible will bring us to will be at odds with both the North and the South Pole of cultural extremes. And the moment there's a kind of war for your allegiance, you are either all for us on this issue or you are all against us. And what happens there is our king becomes an ideology rather than God. We can't live like that. We cannot live like that. So we need courage and clarity to speak in this chaotic and polarized public square. Secondly, we need confidence in the care and good providence of God. Friends, the world around us is anxious. They're looking for security in all sorts of false hopes. They're looking for security in political figures and parties. They're looking for security in financial stability and markets. They're looking for security in diet pills and relationships. We're looking for, we're looking for security in retail therapy. And let me just say, I used to laugh at that, um, but I, 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 there's something to that. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a bad thing. I'm just, I'm sort of saying this sympathetically is like one beggar to other beggars, like this is where the, where the bread is, you know. I, um, man, don't you feel better when you get some new gear, right? And, 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 and Instagram and Facebook, I mean, it, Jennifer and I were talking the other day, we were having, they're listening. We, we just said something. We were, we had a conversation Words were being spoken between a husband and a wife in a kitchen about a particular product. And all of a sudden, ads started popping up on our Facebook timeline about the product that we were talking about. Now, and I bought it. I bought it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm being silly, friends, but 
we're anxious, right? We're anxious. And our enemy prowls about like a lion seeking whom he may devour. And we're worried. And we're prone to false saviors. We're prone to, 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 to medicate our worry in things. Friends, anxious Christians are a poor witness. We undermine the Bible when we say that we believe in the goodness and sovereignty of God and we wring our hands and we fret over the future because this party is in control or that person is the president or this or that or whatever. That's why we read from Psalm 46 today. God is our refuge. A very present help in trouble. trouble. Therefore we will not fear though the mountains be cast into the midst of the sea. He makes wars start and stop. The psalmist says, be still and know that I am God. The world needs people who are anchored in the unshakable good providence of God. And the good providence of God is not dependent on American political stability. Now this is not to say that we should not be concerned about current events in the state of our culture and country. Of course we should. We can and we must be. But it is to say that that concern is not incompatible with an unshakable confidence in the good sovereignty of God. In fact, our concern comes not from a threat to our comfort, but because of a threat to God's glory. So many Christians are concerned because it's a threat to their way of life when actually they should be concerned because it's a threat to the glory of God. And really there are no threats to the glory of God, but we want to see every, every principality and power vanquished before a sovereign God. So our concern needs to be motivated out of the right place. And it's a confidence in the unshakable providence of God. Three, we need, the world needs to see in us a firm understanding of our citizenship. A firm understanding of our citizenship. Now, what do I mean by this? Listen to what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 through 21. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. So we see here Paul telling us that we're not citizens of this this modern day Rome. We're citizens of heaven. And so we should live our lives in a way that clearly communicates that. But we also read in the Bible and other places, specifically in the Old Testament, the prophets speaking to God's people as they are in Babylonian captivity, that they are to do good to the city. And the city there that they're speaking of is Babylon. So a good understanding of our heavenly citizenship doesn't remove us from this world. It makes us better temporary earthly citizens as we realize that our ultimate citizenship is in the kingdom of heaven. And so there is a tension in this. But some American Christians, I think, wrongly communicate their hope 
by accenting their temporary earthly citizenship over their heavenly citizenship. Four, the world needs to see Christians who are grace-filled and church-centered in their pursuit of holiness. Grace-filled, church-centered people who pursue holiness. Now hear my heart on this. One of the strengths and weaknesses of the American culture is the way that we're able to put out great resources. We have a great strength. We have, we have gifted people in this country, gifted leaders, gifted preachers, gifted pastors. And that's, I think, can be a wonderful thing. I have benefited from them. But one of the weaknesses of this country is that we have great resources, great preachers, great pastors, and great, because those people fall. And those people disappoint us. And we are very prone as a culture and as a church to a cult of personality and a consumerism. Recently, we've been rocked as a church by the fall of personalities and leaders and speakers and preachers and pastors that many of us have trusted. And I think it's exposing a kind of Achilles heel of the American church where we are very prone to put our hope in a particular personality or ministry. And I think this is humbling us, and I think it should cause us to think more about life in the local church, about what the Christian life is, that we are meant to be a group of people who primarily do our Christian life not on the internet, but together in the local church. God has given us one another, and Part of the biblical Christian life is that, hear me on this, dear ones, this is not a scold, this is a pastoral plea and concern that you, we live lives where we are radically committed to one another, to making the local church central. And the local church is not as gifted as the great preacher on the internet. I, I'm not. The, the Christians that are sitting next to you are not as good-looking or easy to be around as the people that you watch for 15 minutes in YouTube clips. They're not. They're harder. But have you considered that that may be part of God's design because you're also one of those people that's not real awesome to be around all the time? And so it's part of how God causes us to, to bear with one another. It's actually an opportunity to hold up the grace of the gospel because Christ bears with us his ugly bride who's being beautified. But when all we want is beauty and sleekness and awesomeness and great this and great that, we undermine the whole hope of the gospel. And we outsource it and we're not accountable for one another. And now, spirituality is a mere product to be consumed, not a life to be ruggedly lived with other imperfect people. And we're in the middle of a spiritual battle, friends. Friends, listen, I'll say this just clearly. Christians, it's not it's not something you kind of should do in order to be a healthy Christian. It's something you must do. You must be known. You must regularly, physically gather with other Christians in the context of a local church. 
And my pastoral concern is that this pandemic has scattered many in the local church. Now, some for understandable reasons. And I don't want to get into that. Again, I don't want to say, I like Coke. Well, you must hate 7-Up. We can talk later about this one-on-one with more nuance and one-on-one care. What I'm saying is, is that there are some people in this church that this pandemic has caused you to press in. And that pressing in may look like you watching online right now and really hanging in there. But it's also caused a great number of people in this church to fade out. And ironically, none of the people that I really want to hear this are probably listening right now. You're not here, you're not listening because you faded out. But do you, as a member of this church, do you care about that? Are you concerned about that? Do you have a directory if you're a member from Crosspoint? Do you, do you know where that person is? A person that used to sit next to you? Are you relying on just merely the elders to call them? Do you have a concern? Friends, we, we, we are in a critical time, and I am not being chicken little. I am not saying the sky is falling. God is in the heavens, and He does whatever He pleases. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. But the church will be sifted. And I want as many of you to make it with us together. Let's go. Come on, let's link arms. And the world is becoming an ever-increasing chaotic place. And there will be spiritual refugees on the other side of this pandemic. There will be people that are so confused, so burned out, so hurt, so anxious, they will need somewhere to go. And the Lord is priming the world for the message of the gospel. Will there be strong churches that are hanging in there that are ready to receive the refugees of this broken culture? Will we be that type of church? Will you be that type of Christian? Will you be? Will you be the type of person who says, yeah, I'm ready to serve. I'm ready to go to children's ministry. I'm ready, I'm ready, to, I'm ready, to, just, I'm ready to just think deeply about what I can do in this moment to serve my fellow Christians in my local church. What does that look like? We may come to differing conclusions on that, but ask the question of yourself. What does grace-filled, church-centered pursuit of holiness look like? What What does it look like for a group of Christians who refuse to be polarized by ideologies? What does it look like for a group of people who refuse to give in to fear or anxiety? What does it look like? For some, it may look like staying home for a while and watching online. But whatever it looks like, friends, let's be radically committed to this. Because we are here for something bigger than just our consumption. We're here to be Christians. We're here to be the place. We're here to be the outpost of the kingdom that is coming. We are here for glorious, eternal purposes. What can you do? And finally, the church, what the world needs from the church is a display of the beauty of Christ. Well, this really sums it all up together. You can say this and just say this 
This really encapsulates it all. And what does this mean? Listen to what Jesus says in John 12, 32. He's speaking about his crucifixion and resurrection, but I think there's a just not only that event, but also a kind of principle in this. He says, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. I think he's specifically speaking about the cross when he's lifted up on the cross. His, his work there will draw all kinds of people to himself. But, but even metaphorically, clearly it's true as well that when Christ is preached, when he, his gospel is lifted up, he, he will draw people to himself. And so remember what we read from uh, Peter, from, uh, from Paul to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3, that the church is the pillar and buttress of the truth when we hold it up when we're clear about the gospel, when we say that God is holy and that we are sinners and that our only hope is the righteousness of Christ, the crucifixion, the death, the resurrection of the Son of God and belief in Him, when we hold that up, God does glorious things with that. He changes hearts. He, melting, he melts hardened people. He, he transforms marriages. He, he does beautiful things with that. And our, our task is not complicated. It's just to continue to be radically devoted to lifting up Christ in all that we do in the congregation. And God will do what God will do with that. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1, he says, For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. I've been thinking about that verse a lot lately. I, Jews demand signs. And Greeks seek wisdom. I think of all these false prophets today that are prophesying all this garbage and it's not coming true. And I think they're just like Jews that are demanding signs. And then Greeks seek wisdom. I think that's like the world that just wants the church to be able to speak to every little issue. And I just like, man, I'm not, I don't know. I'm not a, I don't know. I'm not an epidemiologist. I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not a political, I don't know. I but you know what? I, I do know the gospel. And we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And we preach Christ who's held up and friends, that's the message. That's what the world needs to hear. That's what the world needs to see embodied in the life of the church. A group of people who are radically committed to preaching and loving each other in Christ. Who came as a man to die on the cross for sinners like all of us. Every single one of us whether you grew up in church or whether you're as far as you can get away from church culture, regardless of what country, culture you're from, regardless of what ethnicity from, you are from, you are a sinner by nature. You were born separated from God. And God in His kindness, this is controversial to the world. We talk about controversial stances. You know what's more controversial about your view of any riot or political party, you know what's more controversial? Is that 
sinners, that mankind is by nature evil, and if he does not repent and believe in Jesus, that person will spend eternity separated from God under the eternal wrath and torment of, of God's holy justice. That's, that's, that's far more offensive to a human soul than what you think about Black Lives Matter or President Trump. And the good, sweet, glorious news of the gospel is that sinners who are hell-bound for eternity can be saved by the grace of God who comes to us in the person of the Son of God, lives a perfect life, dies a sacrificial death, rises in victory over sin, death, and the grave, and every principality and power, and now commands all people everywhere to turn from trusting in themselves, to turn from their false hopes, to turn from their counterfeit pleasures and sin, and to find joy and reconciliation by trusting in Jesus alone. Friends, that's what this church must be about. That's what your life must be about to display the beauty of Christ. And that's what you, dear one, must believe. You must believe that. And if you don't believe that, something far worse than being on the wrong side of history will await you. What awaits you is the eternal wrath of God. But if you do trust in that, what awaits you is union with Him, fellowship with God forever and ever, and joy ever increasing. Let's pray. Lord, help us with these things. Help me. Lord, I confess that half the time this past year I, I just feel humbled, frustrated, and not sure what tone to strike. I I vacillate between being very encouraged by things I see in the church to being very discouraged. Lord, I, I, I just confess my flightiness, my weakness. Lord, if that's true of any of my brothers and sisters in here as well, Lord, um, take our confession and give us the refreshing that comes with repentance. Stabilize us. Make us serious, clear-headed, ordinary Christians. There's so much power in that. Let us be satisfied with, with that and let us trust you. Give us clarity and wisdom and discernment in these tumultuous days. We pray for our country. We love our country, not as an idol, but because we want to be good earthly citizens. Lord, thank you for America. It is a clearly an imperfect nation, but you've used it for wonderful ends. You don't need us. But would you be so kind as to continue your work through us? Not for the sake of America, but for the sake of the kingdom of God. Would you make Crosspoint a little 
clearer outpost of heaven, of the coming kingdom. In fact, your kingdom is here. Just expand it, Lord. Lord, would you help us to be people who are serious about the Christian life? Would you give us humility? Would you give us a strange mix of courage and compassion? And for my friends in this room that don't know Jesus, would you give them a new heart? Would the sovereign wind of the Holy Spirit blow and open their eyes? Or do these things so that we might enjoy you forever and help us now to respond to you in song and repentance and joy. In Jesus' name.